Welcome to Pat Sherlock's podcast series, interviews with top mortgage sales leaders. Learn practical tips for improving sales management results. Let's get started. Welcome to the podcast. This is a deeper dive on an important topic that I have the perfect expert for. And we're going to talk about the Federal Home Loan Bank and affordable housing. This is such an important topic for all lenders. And I have the perfect expert, my friend, Teresa Basmore. Teresa is president and CEO of the Federal Home Loan Bank of San Francisco. Prior to that, she was president of Radian, and she has won every award in mortgage banking and financial services that is possible. Plus, she's on the board of T. Rowe Price. So hi, Teresa. Hi, Pat. How are you today? Well, I'm great. And this is such an important topic. And I want to start off with, I'm sure you saw a recent article in the Washington Post that talked about how actually minority versus non-minority home ownership has improved. And certainly there's been some substantial increases in it. But what are your kind of thoughts on it? And obviously the progress hasn't been as fast as we would want it. Yeah, so this is an area that I spend a lot of time thinking about, that we spend a lot of time at the bank thinking about. Because when you look back, the home ownership gap, particularly the home ownership gap between white and black Americans, and then really Hispanics aren't far from that, was the largest it had ever been at almost 30 percentage points um, since before the uh, Fair Housing Act was passed in the late 60s. So when you, you look at that, yes, we're making some progress, but there's a lot more that needs to be done if we really want to have some success in closing the gap. I think it's a multi-pronged problem. There's no sort of silver bullet uh, way to address this. I mean, number one, I would say, is housing supply. There has to be a focus on increasing housing supply, particularly affordable housing supply. You hear a lot of people talking about workforce housing. I think that is another way of thinking about the fact that we have a lot of Americans today who can't afford a home. And, and so that's one area. Another area is down payment. There are folks who have the ability to pay the mortgage. We can see that through what they're paying now for their rental rental payments, but they don't have the ability to accumulate the down payment. And the fact that the cost of housing has gone up so much means that the down payment needs to be more, even if you're able to do something that's more like 5% down. The fact that a lot of people of color also have student loans because of the issues around wealth and generational wealth. So their parents weren't in a position to help them as much exacerbates the problem. Credit's another area of focus. And one of the things that's being thought about now is the use of rental payments. There's some work being done there. One of the GSEs is doing some work in this area to use that as positive opportunity to approve people, which still allows for sustainable mortgage lending. And I'd also say, you know, increasing financial literacy. There's just a lot of misinformation out there that makes people think that they aren't qualified to get a loan 
when they are qualified to get a loan. And so I think as professionals in the mortgage industry, we have a particular obligation to make sure that we're getting accurate information out to those who might be mortgage eligible and interested. And in fact, a lot of people do want to buy a home to help them get through that journey. Well, that's really a great point that you're raising. And I, I think that ties together with what Freddie Mac did with the mortgage ready analysis. Did any of that information really surprise you about, they, they estimated that there was 44 million uh, borrowers out there that were qualified today, but haven't really been marketed to or for whatever reason. What are your thoughts on that? You know, I think that often the way that mortgage lenders have found sort of customers has been through referrals, right? For, for you know, working with particular real estate agencies where they've been able to show that they provide good customer service and they therefore, you know, when that realtor has or a real estate agent has a customer, they're willing to sort of say, here's this person who will can help you. And and that's not necessarily helping people who might be able to buy a home, who might need to learn more about the journey to buying a home to be ready. And also my reference to misinformation that's out there, it also creates a situation where people who are eligible just don't know it. And then you add in the fact that many of the mortgage approval things that we have out there today use some older versions of credit scoring when there are newer versions, whether it's uh, updated FICO, um, uh, I think it's FICO 10 or Vantage right. score, where, you know, they're, they're both saying that they can score more people than than in the past. And then you also have the issue of, of rental payments, which I talked about earlier. And one of the concerns has been not necessarily integrating rental payments into the credit score, because if someone falls on hard times, loses their job, you know, the concern is that if that pulls down their credit score, they may have difficulty finding a place to rent. But that if you think about it, if you go back in time, we used to think about the rental payments as one of the best ways of assessing whether someone had the ability to repay going forward. Well, that's a good point that you're making, which leads to, I, I understand that the bank has partnered with um, the Urban Institute and you are looking at decision modeling. What are they finding? Or certainly could you update us on that? Sure. So we actually are uh, working with Urban in four different areas, but you're right. One of them is about alternative scoring models. And um, and so they issued a report last fall in October. It's available on their website that talks about some of the innovations that are going on. Certainly it touches on, you know, things like uh, updated credit models uh, that I mentioned, but also this idea of using positive rental data. And a lot of landlords are not large landlords. They're smaller mom and pop type landlords, and they don't really have an incentive to, to incur the cost of reporting that data. So there are a number of organizations that are now trying to accumulate that data. Some of them are focused on that mom and pop group. 
also the ideas that the consumer would be able to opt in. So you'd be able to have this data be used to enhance your credit score. But if you know you're someone who's really struggling, that you would be able to uh, opt out of having, or at least not opt into having it included. Um, the, the other one that was interesting was a company called Form Free. And what they've done is they have created a, what they call a Ricky score. And it's really about looking at residual income. If you think about the uh, VA, the VA really underwrites on the basis of residual income. And mm -hmm. they take this approach and they've gone back and sort of back tested their model against loans that have performed and not performed in the past and believe that it's fairly predictive. So I think some of these things are going to become areas that mortgage lenders can use and think about and in include in what they're doing so that maybe you use what you're using today, but some of these tools may be ways to say if someone is sort of on that bubble and they're not being approved in the modeling that we have today, do these other things help us understand better whether or not they're, they have the ability to repay and identify some of that large population that you mentioned in the Freddie Mac study, we believe are in fact mortgage ready. Well, you also raised the question about student loans, which obviously is a big deal within our country and a lot of discussion on it. Talk to me and, and talk to our listeners about this issue of instead of having student loans as a, an expense, that it's looked at as an investment. What is, where is that analysis being done? And do we actually really think that there's a possibility that that could change? Yeah, so this was another area that we worked with Urban on, and they put out a report about this. This is a tougher issue because you can't really look at it really as an investment in terms of saying it's an asset in, because it's it's not mm -hmm. something technically have the ability to monetize, right? Mm -hmm. However, the, the, the point I think really is that if you have student loans and you finish your degree, that can be indicative of your ability to earn more and also have higher, higher opportunities for income in the future. And so is there a way to sort of factor that in and think about it? You know, that's a much more difficult thing to sort of try to understand how you would value that and how you would try to value the trajectory of income. The other interesting thing is that the largest amount of student debt is with people who received graduate degrees. So mm. those folks presumably are going to have a higher ability to, to, to get income in the future. They're also some of the people who have a higher income, have the ability to repay a mortgage, but maybe are being hampered on the down payment side, right? So, so when you think about that, one of the solutions may really be to look for ways to do down payment assistance or th those kinds of tools 
instead to help someone bridge that gap because many of those uh, people, and it's particularly an issue for people of color, have higher amounts of student debt because of the prior issues of maybe their parents or their parents' parents not being able to have a home ownership, which is one of the biggest ways that we've created wealth in this country. And so families who do have home ownership are in a better position to help their, their children with the cost of education. So I, I think it's, it's a really thorny problem to figure out, but it may be more about how do we help people bridge that gap and how do we maybe give a little bit more room in terms of how we think about DTI, because if their income is higher, maybe they have more residual income and maybe we can be a little bit more flexible in that regard as a result. So are there any pilots maybe utilizing some of these new strategies or in, in many ways, maybe strategies that have been around for a little bit that you see that seem very interesting and look like they might be something that will translate into actually the lender implementing it? Yeah, I think some of these are still so fairly new that they haven't been used in any major way. There's discussions now about creating pilots on some of these programs. But the GSEs have started using or allowing lenders to use rental payments as a way to sort of positively help someone who maybe isn't quite getting over the hurdle when it comes to automated underwriting. But if you factor that in, would in fact qualify. So that's just um, sort of gotten underway. I don't think it's been long enough to have any real view, but certainly there are a few thousand people, as I understand it, who have now been able to be approved for a mortgage as a result. Well, that's all good news. So what are your thoughts on, I think Fannie came out with that they were coming, or I think this is also a pilot, where they're calling it, I believe, the social index, where when the loan is sold into mortgage-backed security, that the investor would have information regarding in the pool that it was a first-time home buyer versus whatever. Do you think that ultimately will be what will change the dynamics in home ownership because now we'd be able to track? Um, that could be an incentive, certainly, for, for mortgage lenders, especially if there's a way to have more favorable pricing for mm -hmm. sort of first-time homebuyers. I think, you know, there's an opportunity there. But, you know, when I think about this, I also think about where we are in our country with respect to demographics. And for a, a number of years now, I've been talking about the demographics, because if you are a mortgage lender, you should be thinking about how do you diversify your employees? How do you make sure you're diversifying your the customers that you're reaching out to, making sure that you really are reaching out to everyone in the communities that you serve. Because as time goes on, if you really wanna grow your business, then you have to make sure that you're growing your business with, with those who are coming into the market. And when you look at 
but especially the growth in the Hispanic market. There are a lot of opportunities there. There are a lot of opportunities, certainly, with the African-American market. You know, the in the Hispanic market, they really focused a lot on not only increasing the number of real estate professionals, that was through NAREP, but also trying to make sure there were a lot more Hispanic loan officers. And I think you can see how that's translated into more opportunities and more home ownership in the Hispanic community. Well, you're hitting on one of my favorite topics, so I'm glad that you brought this up. And I guess what I see is that many times lenders, when it comes to the affordability housing market, they look at it as being something that's, that can be resolved product-wise or maybe pricing-wise. And certainly, this raises the issue. When you look at some of the Fed studies, the, some of the regional Fed studies have been out there where they have looked at, and you've hit on the topic, is that the whole idea of having diverse loan officers who would originate into that marketplace. And when you have, I don't think it's a coincidence that when you look at the housing market and the percentage of loan officers that are white, um, there is a correlation where uh, we have 70, I think it's 73% of the loan officers in mortgage banking are white. And it's no coincidence that the home ownership is 70 as 71%. So this whole issue of bringing, and obviously with the traditional mortgage lender having looking for loan officers that already have a book of business, certainly bringing in new loan officers requires them to train and make an investment. And that's where it ends up being troubling. So the loan officer side of it, what are your thoughts about that? It seems to me that's a significant issue that doesn't get addressed a lot. Yeah, look, I, I think that we should all be striving for diversity in our you know, workforces, and that certainly includes loan officers. And if you think about it, a lot of loan officers still get business because family and friends are referring someone to you. A lot of people still feel that they can trust someone from their, you know, from their ethnic or racial community. I think it's important to have diversity in the ranks of loan officers. Uh, I think it's an opportunity to expand your business. That's not to say that people from other backgrounds can't also mm -hmm. become trusted advisors and work in those communities. Just think they're the opportunity to have different uh, you know, different backgrounds in um, and racial backgrounds is important in the in the workforce. And I think we see that too with respect to other parts of the mortgage process, right? I mean, I think we've all seen some of the issues and articles around appraisal bias. Well, right. you know, the fact that the percentage of uh, minority appraisers is super low. Um, I think it's even significantly lower than the what you just quoted on right, the loan. Sure. You know, yeah. would say that maybe there's an important need to, you know, to diversify appraisers. So, um, and, and and you know, frankly, for many of us who ended up going into mortgage banking, if you had asked us if we were going to become a mortgage banker, I don't think any of us would have said yes. Right? <laughs> we sort of found our way into um, into the market. Most of the people who thought they would be, it's because their 
parent or their, you know, uncle or aunt or someone else in the family was in that business or maybe the next door neighbor. And that's also one of the reasons I think we've seen a lack of diversity in the mortgage in the mortgage business. It's a great career opportunity. And I think there's a great opportunity to also help people of color understand that this is an opportunity that also can provide you with a great lifestyle going forward and a great income for your family going forward, but also as a way to give back. I mean, when as I think about being part of the residential mortgage market, I think about it as a way to help people and create strong communities and give back at the same time that I'm able to have a career that creates a good lifestyle for me. Yes, it's a double benefit for sure. Well, talking about, and certainly I talk to a lot of lenders every day, and this is a market that's obviously more difficult. They've moved away from the refi market now into a market that is tougher and with rising rates. One of the first comments that's made many times is that, gee, I would really like to do that, but I can't make I can't make that type of investment in training somebody that may not generate a loan quickly, which is obviously a myth because I'm involved with that every day and that's not true, but that's their mindset that things are tough. Am I going to make an investment? What are the arguments that you would make against that? So, so first of all, I think there are a lot of people out there who still are interested in buying a home, right? So to the extent that you can add to your um, cadre of loan officers, people who are willing to try to find those borrowers and work with them, then I think you could build your business. So to the extent that you can bring some folks in, maybe you, you they can't make as much as they would when the market is up, but it, but it is a way of building. I mean, at some point, rates are gonna start to come down a little bit. They're probably not going to come down from everything I'm hearing from the economists to where, you know, to the 3% rates that we saw for quite some time. But they, you know, they've already started coming down from sort of the high they were at at the at in the fall of last year. And so I think we should be thinking of it as an investment for the future when there are more opportunities to get into that market and to really think about. Where, where are the markets? Where are the folks that I haven't been tapping into? And is this a way for me to tap into those markets? Well, I think that's a great point. And I think that's certainly the thing that I think lenders need to really be attuned to is the demographics are the demographics. And you have to align and pivot to those demographics and recognizing that we're probably in a purchase money market for the next several years that we have to have a, a workforce that it matches to the community that we're soliciting business. It just seems as if that would be job number one to recognize that this isn't some temporary event. The demographics are changing. Any other thoughts on that and any other takeaways that you would like to share with our audience today? No, I mean, I, I just think that the the issue of helping folks get into housing is really an important one for our society and for our industry. And I think we all have to think about innovative ways to make sure we're we're getting people into homes. But I think for any of us who went through the financial crisis, we also want that to be sustainable homeownership for 
not only for the lender or the investor in the loan, but more importantly, for the person who's buying the home. And I think if we keep that as sort of our North Star, then we can find the right ways to make sure we're finding those folks who are mortgage ready, helping them understand that they're mortgage ready and to provide opportunities for them to buy. Well, I can't agree with you more. That's for sure. I think it's a great growth opportunity. And I want to thank everyone for listening. I certainly appreciate you spending time with us. And I want to thank Teresa for sharing her thoughts. Thanks so much. Thanks, Pat. Great to talk to you. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We appreciate you spending time with us. If your sales team needs training in hiring and lead generation, schedule a free consultation by emailing me at pshirlock at qfsconsulting.com.